Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we're talking about a gal who has sold more than 400 million copies of her books. She got children excited to read massive page turners, won multiple awards including being named the most influential woman in Britain. And unlike the other gals we've talked about in the series so far, she's still alive. So today we are talking about the life and legacy building of J.K. Rowling. So if you pay attention to pop culture, you know who J.K. Rowling is. And there's so much more than just, she's the author of Harry Potter. There's more to this story. So much more, yeah. Yeah. So even if you don't like young adult books or reading or watching movies, you know her name. And Kate even informed me that the initials J.K. are even known globally, which is crazy. You just can't escape her name. So, yes, I knew who she was well before this podcast, even though I never really got into the books or finished watching the Harry Potter movies. In fact, to be honest, I don't even really like the character Harry Potter very much, because, like, as you might already know from the minicast, however, the world of Harry Potter and the magic and the lore and all the side characters and all... It's all very fascinating to me, and it makes me wonder about the mind of the person who created this world, because that takes a lot of imagination to just come up with something new. So Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Uh, for me, what I knew going into it, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, could be longer than that, I'm not sure. Um, I read an unauthorized biography by Mark Shapiro about JK. Um, I was heavily into writing at the time. And so I was reading books about authors and about the process of writing. And I was simply just kind of trying to see if I fit into the world of authors. Um, I wrote and I submitted some short stories and I outlined four or five books. None of those saw the light of day. That is fine. (laughs) I was writing. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to study JK because she was the biggest thing in the world of publishing at that time. All writers want success. I mean, we do. (laughs) Success and power and creativity. And JK had it. So I read the first two books um, and the biography really as fuel, my writing fuel sort of thing. What I took away from that study, number one, she is an amazing writer. I really yeah. do have to hands down give her to give her kudos for that. She writes uh, page turners with just seemingly unsolvable problems in the first chapter and then answers that by the end of the chapter and then poses an even more unsolvable problem at the end of the next. They read almost like a detective novel. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. The second one that I learned, she got lucky with publishing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that is not a slam on her talent because she definitely has it. Um, I've just gotten to know quite a few talented writers in my time, many of whom really deserve the success that JK got. But honestly, it is. It's the right place at the right time. And for some, 
it's easier. And for some, right. it's harder. Publishing is really rough waters to, to wade through. So some get to the shore and some might get lost in the tide, <laughs> unfortunately. <Right. laughs> and number three, she got kids to read again. Now, I've been to quite a few midnight movie screenings in my time. But if you told me when I was a kid that there would be a midnight book release party, I would have thought you were mad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, it's amazing to me to see kids and adults excited about reading books and I just I really really adore that actually my oldest daughter uh out of the blue started reading the Harry Potter books in August and she is now finishing up the last book this week that's awesome I just love seeing any child excited about reading and so because of that a JK is totally a gift (laughs) that's awesome Yeah, so let's dig into where she grew up and where she was born. Absolutely. So J.K. Rowling was actually born as Joanne Rowling, and she was born on July 31st in 1965 at the Yates General Hospital just outside of Bristol. So her parents were Peter James Rowling, and he was a Rolls-Royce aircraft engineer. So her mom was Anne Rowling, and she was a science technician in the chemistry department of the Leading Comprehensive, where Joanne herself eventually went to school. So her parents first met on a train departing from King's Cross Station, bound for Aberaf in 1964, which J.K. had said in an interview that that place was always very magical to her, and it is why it later made it into her writing. I think that's adorable. My parents met at a drive-in, so I do have a (laughs) drive-in screenplay just because. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. You never know. (laughs) Yeah. So we may go back and forth saying JK or Joe or Joanne because, like, I think she prefers Joe, but then she's Joanne, but then... Everybody knows her as JK, so some is just easier than others, but... It sounds like it's going to be a personal preference for everyone, so we'll have a bit of everything. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, when Joanne grew up, she was surrounded by books, and she even said that she lived for books. She said, quote, I was your basic common or garden bookworm, complete with the freckles and national health spectacles. Which is so adorable, because she, like, didn't grow out of that. (laughs) So cute. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So she grew up in Gloucestershire, England, and in Chepstow, Gwent, in southeast Wales. And even as a child, Jo was writing stories and essentially children's books that was written and illustrated by herself. And then she read them to her younger sister. So Jo's family moved to the nearby village in Winterbourne when she was four, and she attended the St. Michael's Primary School. So the headmaster at St. Michael's, Alfred Dunn, has been suggested that maybe, just maybe, he was the inspiration for the Harry Potter headmaster, Albus Dumbledore. So Joe actually moved around a lot in Europe. That's why she like has, she's like well-rounded, I think. It's pretty right. awesome, actually. So when she was nine, they moved to Church Cottage in Gloucestershire in the village of Tutshill, close to Chepstow, Wales. And then she attended the secondary school at Weedon School in college, where her mother worked in the science department. Um, jo later said that she based the character of Hermione Granger on herself when she was around that age, which is pretty adorable. I, th- I can see it. I really like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. And she mm-hmm. said in an interview that 
she saw a lot of herself in Hermione. It was just yeah. completely, this is me. Like Easiest character to write. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And such a great character, too. I love it. Oh, my gosh. She's my favorite. <laughs> yep, mine, too. Yeah, totally. So her best friend, Sean Harris, owned a turquoise Ford Angela, which, Joe says, inspired the flying version that appeared in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So after I watched her biography and actually and actually watched her talk to her friend about uh, that car, it was apparent to me at how important it was to her at the time. And it was just adorable to see like yeah. the importance and the sentimental value and the fact that now literally everyone from around the world has mm-hmm. that same sentimental value as she does. Yeah, so that's I love just that. adorable to see how that's passed on. It's sharing a wonderful memory that was her memory and now it becomes, you know, the reader's memory as well. I love that. I love that too. So Joe left home at the age of 18 for Exeter University, where she read so widely outside of her French and classic syllabus that she actually had a fine for the library, which is crazy. Oh, wow. But this knowledge of the classics will one day come in handy. And because of creating the spells for Harry Potter, because some of them are based on Latin and other languages. Right. But also totally made up from her. Because mm-hmm. I saw, she also said in her biography that it, everything's loosely based off of real things. But she, like, it's all her own lore. It's all her own. Mm-hmm. She twisted thing. it to meet her own ends. Yes. She did. <laughs> She'll even admit it. <laughs> it's what writers do. I love it. Totally. So after a year of studying in Paris, JK graduated from Exeter in 1986, and then she moved to London to work as a researcher and bilingual secretary for Amnesty International. Awesome. So in 1990, Joe was on a train from Manchester to London when a book idea came out of nowhere. And she talks about it in a biography special. She talks about this physical rush of excitement. And as a writer, I totally get this. (laughs) There are some days you struggle with a word or plot mapping, um, but above all, the ideas. And when you finally get an idea that you have a passion for, um, you know that excitement. But here's the part of the story that, uh, that fellow writers, it will fill them with anxiety. When Joe thought of the idea for Harry Potter, she was on a four-hour train ride with nothing to write with. Right. Right? Anxiety. Uh, that, no, that gave me anxiety when I heard that. I was like, oh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'd be finding a rock or something, sketching on the, I don't know. A sharp you know, implement uh, of anything. Yeah, it's something like, scratching into the into the car or something. I don't know. It's uh. desperation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, But she sat on that train and she let her imagination fill in the ideas. Um, And she held close to those ideas so she wouldn't lose them. Uh, And so she could write them down the second she found a pen. (laughs) She would then spend the next five years working on the book. However, life would try to get in the way. Sorry, it makes me wonder, like... If sitting there and pondering it helped her writing process. I think it did. Like, yeah, because we so mm-hmm. often like want to write it down so quickly, but then you're focusing on writing, but you're also focusing on your ideas coming. So I wonder if that, I don't mm-hmm. know, I almost want to try it next time I have an idea. Me like, too, actually. Sit and ponder it. Yeah. 
Yep. Just to take the time to think out the idea and yeah. to even visually work on it instead of the um, getting the words right. You know what I mean? Right. Sometimes yeah, the totally. actual work of the words get in the way of the creativity and the imagination. Totally. I think I think it was really a gift. Yeah. <laughs> as, as torturous as it sounds <laughs> to have four Absolutely. hours to just think of a fabulous idea and not be able to get it down and worry you'll forget. Right. Uh, so the winter of that same year, Joe's mother died at the age of 45. Now, Anne lost a 10-year struggle with multiple sclerosis. And it's not easy losing a parent that young. And Joe said that she channeled it into her books. A major theme in all the Harry Potter books is death. Um, but after seeing an advert for the need for a teacher for English as a foreign language, Joe took a job and moved to Porto in Portugal. She wrote during the day and she taught at night. And in Portugal, she met a television journalist, Jorge Arantes, and they married in 1992 and had a daughter. Their marriage was to be short-lived, however. And in 1993, Joe and her daughter and the first three chapters of what would be Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone arrived in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, it was in Edinburgh where most of the book of Harry Potter really took shape. It's where the book became a real book. It's also where the most amount of rumors and urban legends spawn around Joe's personal life. I was at a dinner party this week and I was asked who the next gal we were going to cover for the show was, and I said that it was going to be J.K. Rowling. Well, most of the common knowledge at that dinner party was that she was a penniless single mother on welfare and couldn't afford paper or heat for her apartment. So let's oh. actually debunk that right now. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Because Joe herself has said that the six months in Edinburgh were, quote, a pretty unhappy six months. Uh, she was 28. She was living on government benefit of seven pounds a week. There was little work, but what was even more frustrating and complicated was affording childcare. I mean, even working part-time to be able to afford it. But still, she persisted. She did a lot of writing in that time, and she has debunked the rumors that she couldn't even afford paper and would write on napkins. Now, writers will write on anything when they have a right. flash of ideas, right? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. It oh, yeah. just so happens. So uh, if it's something that you can write on and it's the quickest thing you see, you write on it. It doesn't mean that you are too poor to afford paper. Right. No. <laughs> yep. There was also stories that Joe would write in cafes because her flat in Edinburgh didn't have heat. And she really doesn't like this assumption no, that no, she was no, no. so she naive. did not like that at all. She was so mad about that. And I actually understand because it's a comment oh, yeah. on her intelligence. Uh, because it's right, very because cold there. Yeah, she had an yeah. infant and it gets really cold in Edinburgh, Scotland. So, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's ridiculous, and I understand why she was mad, but man, that oh, <laughs> yep. she's like, let me just get this straight right now. I'm like, all right, I'm, let's pass on the information for you. Like, exactly. <laughs> I totally believe you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
but how that kind of got entwined with the the cafes, she would actually write in cafes. Um, right. But with many infants, uh, her daughter would only fall asleep and take her naps if she was in motion. So she would load up the stroller and she would walk around town. And the instant her daughter fell asleep, Joe would rush into the nearest cafe and write. <laughs> and I deeply relate to this uh, because I would use car rides or a walk around the mall to help my daughters with their napping situations. And I would also be ready with a pen and paper to use that time to either get words out or get ideas fleshed out. Um, now, when my girls got older, we went to trips to the playground so that they could play. Uh, and I wrote while I watched them. So basically, That's as a writer and a parent, you find any scrap of paper and you find any time you can to get those words out. <laughs> Makes sense. Yep. So since that idea on a train, Joe plotted out seven books, one for each school year. She even knew what the last chapter would be. With book one finished in 1995, we now enter The Road to Publication. And Phoebe, you researched this part for us. One thing I think I, if I understood this correctly in the biography, was she wrote the last chapter of the last book ahead of time. Yeah. So there was something to work towards. Right. So she could kind of see the bookend and she could kind of see right. the journey that it had to get to, to get there. Also, I could be interpreting it, but it sounded like it was going to be a really hard chapter. So yeah. she kind of needed to get it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she had to hide it from everybody. Everybody. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So J.K. finished her book, first book. After notes and notes and years of research and love and devotion, her book was finally done. Yay! And it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. So she completed the full manuscript and she sent the first three chapters to a number of literary agents, one of whom wrote back and asked to see the rest of the book. She says it was, quote, the best letter I have ever received in my life. Mm Mm-hmm. And they submitted the book, together they submitted the book to 12 different publishing houses, all of which turned it down. A year later, she's finally given the green light by a publishing house called Bloomsbury in London. And although they agreed to publish the book, JK says that she was advised to get a day job since she had little chance of making any money in a children's book, in their opinion. Mm-hmm. Which now is kind of... It's ironic now, (laughs) but it's still very good advice. (laughs) No, it is. I I am not disagreeing. I was just like, this is really amusing because she was like the richest person ever now. Of course. She's a very successful author. Yeah. Yeah. So the book was first published by Bloomsbury Children's Books in June of 1997 under the name J.K. Rowling. But as we told you earlier, J.K. Rowling is not her given name. JK's given name is Joanne Rowling. So the K actually stands for Kathleen. It's not her, well, is it her middle name? No, she doesn't have a middle name. Okay. This was something I found interesting. Her birth certificate, she does not have a middle name. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, that's, okay, good. Because I thought that that was my understanding too, but I was like, wait, maybe she, I don't know. But (laughs) on on everything, it's like, she no, she's just Joanne Rowling, so she doesn't even have a middle name. So K stands for her grandmother's name. Yeah. And it was added because of her publisher's request, who thought that a book that was obviously a female author might not appeal to the target audience of young boys, which kind of boggles my mind. 
but unfortunately when you think about it it makes a little sense because mm-hmm. like when i hear the name or see the name jk rowling i also think of J.R.R. tolkien who mm-hmm. is famously well-known male writer and it has a quote better ring to it or whatever than joanne rowling it makes me wonder though how she reacted to the name change because like was she was she offended did she care like was she grateful that the publishing house was looking out for her trying to make sales or was it a struggle to come to grips with it i mean i'm really torn because it's just it i don't know it's a lot of what ifs yeah it is it's like i don't i like my name i you know so i i don't know what do you think kate well, when it comes down to writers using uh, either initials or pen names, it's actually extremely common. Um, it's not straightforward why, though. Gotcha. <laughs> that it really is a case-by-case basis of uh, why they do it. Sometimes it's the writer themselves chooses yeah. initials, and then it, sometimes it is the publisher. Also, sometimes it's a trend, actually. If there's a lot yeah. of authors with initials, it's a trend. That makes sense. Like, even my mom's published books, and she's E.M. Freer. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't use her full first name, too. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe I should ask my mom about this. Cause this she, is that's, true. Like, she did that to herself. But right. But that was her, her actual Was she actual inspired name. by somebody of a... Was she inspired by an author that she loves that did initials? Or right. was it just she liked the ring of it? Or uh, was it her publisher going, well, let's try this? <laughs> right. I should ask her now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think so. Uh, I mean, the other reasons is that it's popular in children's books, especially. I mean, think oh, about it. Um, R.L. Stein, that's the Goosebumps author. Uh, right. E.B. White wrote Charlotte's oh, Web. Okay. And C.S. Right. Lewis of Chronicles of Narnia. And even uh, J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan. So wow. initials are pretty common throughout history. Now, all those examples are male. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of things. But um, also at the same time around Harry Potter, there was also K. A. Applegate, um, she actually did the Animorphs series and she had initials too. So it could have been a trend. It could have been, you know, the children's industry sort of thing. Um, But there is also really a terrible bias in the world of publishing when it comes to kids' books that girls will read books and it doesn't matter who the main character is, whether they're male or female. But it is still said that boys tend to only read books that are about boys written by boys. Wow. <laughs> now, what is wonderful to me, though, is even when uh, boys found out that Harry Potter was written by a woman, and today everybody knows it, they're right. still reading it. So to me, she kind of uh, bucked that theory, totally. <laughs> which I love. Um Now, I did find out, actually, a quote that answers your exact question. So when Joe talked about the initials, she said, quote, It was the publisher's idea. They could have called me Endin Snoggengrass. I just wanted it published. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) There you go. So, yes, I actually, I found her answer. And I'm like, that makes sense to me. I'd probably do the same thing. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So in 1997, this was the year that everything changed. So like Phoebe said, it was the year that the first Harry Potter book came out through Bloomsbury. Joe was taking the advice and she was keeping her day job as a teacher while she worked on book two. That's when the book went into auction for the American publishers 
to buy the rights. Scholastic won the rights with a bid of $105,000, which is an incredible sum of money for a first-time author of a children's book. And with that money, Joe became a full-time author. Yeah. (laughs) So her first novel was published in the United States under a different title, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, in 1998. Six more books followed in the Harry Potter series, each achieving record-breaking success. And J.K. comments that this is ironic to her, that she was putting herself in the frame of mind to write about Harry and how he would feel to suddenly become famous. Then after she put herself in Harry's shoes and in her mind, her life became very similar to Harry's. So with the widespread success of the books, she too was suddenly famous. And reporters not only came to her home, but also to her father's home as well. And her private life did become far less private. Yeah. Yeah, it all changed in 1997. Quickly. quickly. And on a dime. Yes. Yeah. She said in her biography that there was news reports that she wasn't talking to her father or something. Right. And she was like, I just like, and they knocked on his door. Right. And she had called him an hour before that. And right. they were all confused. Like what's happening? What's uh-huh. happening right now? <laughs> so, exactly. I think it's really cool that we get to like help continue her corrections to her own story absolutely yes let's get the truth out there of what she has said because she's still with us i love it she is she is and we're like these things are like no we heard her say it like Mm -hmm. in her in a bag like no she said this not this other yeah exactly it's just cool that we kind of can help a little bit yeah oh (laughs) absolutely i love it (laughs) so i was wondering after all of her book success with all of the books Mm -hmm. obviously they became movies yes so i was wondering like how involved she was and all that stuff with all the fans and stuff they are they're always saying oh the books are better you know the books are better but that's an eight movie series yep (laughs) and they always say the books are better, but they never say that didn't follow the book at all. Right. They're not saying that you the know? movies themselves are bad. It's right. just that there's more in the books. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So to do that, you somebody's got to be, you know, in the works, putting their hands into it. Yeah. So um, I was wondering how involved she was. So I looked it up a little bit and she was apparently very involved. And first she insists, so the first thing is she insisted that the cast be all actually British so that the film would stay true to the core of the books, which is pretty cool. Yes, I love that. (laughs) So this was not the director's idea, although I did see an interview where he made it sound like it was his idea, which really made me a little irritated, but... I can't remember. Was the first director Christopher Columbus? Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Okay. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> I'm like, really? Or my boyfriend was in the same room. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, what? What's happening? I'm like, he did this. This isn't right. <laughs> he just claimed responsibility. He just, he just or not claimed, claimed credit. Yeah, he yeah, claimed credit for he just it. Claimed yeah. credit. Like, no, that was JK's idea. <laughs> exactly. It was insisted well, upon. <laughs> so there was a race uh, for brands to tie their products into the film series, and Coca-Cola won. Gotcha. So J.K. insisted that Coca-Cola, since they won, donate $18 million to the American charity Reading is Fundamental. 
as well as several community charity programs, which is really cool. I love like that. from the start, she was like, I want to donate to charities. I want to like actually change the world, not just. Right. If you're going to brand the movie, let's also right. do a positive, <laughs> positive totally. environment. Yeah. A positive into our community. I love that. Yeah. And the charity thing is something that's really consistent in her life. Like she's always trying to make a positive influence on the world past making stories right absolutely which is so cool like just the harry potter series alone by itself has changed so many lives but she's going she's taking an extra step and an extra few steps to continue to impact the world which is just i don't know it's that's rare. why i love her it's so much. really rare yeah. and i love that yeah yep i do too yeah so it was also noted that jk talked to the cast on set and um, since only four out of the seven books were written by the time they finished the first movie, the cast did not know what would happen to their characters later down the road. But JK had it all planned out in her head, and she gave Alan Rickman, who was Snape, and Robbie Coltrane, who was Hagrid, and Daniel Radcliffe, who was Harry, all clues and tidbits about what would happen to their characters in the future so that they could understand their characters better. I love that. And she didn't give away everything. But she gave away just enough so that they knew where they were headed. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Which is so awesome. Because those nuances really do help actors um, right. to kind of know where it's going and to paint a bigger picture that they can kind of internalize. I, I think that's lovely. Absolutely. I do, too. It's so cool. So throughout this whole process, JK was right there with the movies, making sure that they kept true enough to the books in order for the plot lines not to get messed up. Which is incredibly helpful because between so many different people changing the story in a movie, things can get really lost, especially over a seven book period, if you weren't keeping an eye on it all. I mean, it's hard to keep plot lines straight in one movie. They had to keep plot lines straight in eight movies or seven books. And it wasn't the same director each time either, so you have different creative ideas. Yeah. Right. Yep. And the nature of movie making is everybody who's involved has a creative input. Mm -hmm. So any little tiny detail can change the movie. Yes. But if you have somebody, if you have an observer keeping an eye on everything, everything can stay consistent. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling was that observer, which is awesome. Perfect. (laughs) As it should be. (laughs) Yeah. I thought this was a really wise move on the Warner Brothers to let her stay and a wise move on her part on being a part of this process. J.K. removed all the scripts as well as acting as a producer on the final two-part installment, The Deathly Hollows. So she was, she's always been right there. I love that. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Uh, So now when you become a success, like Joe has, unfortunately, you also become an unfair target. Our culture does this all too often with celebrities. Uh, We hear people who achieve their dreams, but then we get this sick sense of jealousy or animosity and we want to see them taken off their pedestal. It's a way of making them less than us so we feel important again. And it's not right. And many times... It's unjustified. 
Uh, it's also oh, to sell newspapers, generally, sometimes, too. But oh, in oh. in Joe's case, uh, there was a big backlash in 1999 of the witchcraft part of the novels. So a right. group of Christians worried that the books would promote the occult. And they were so worried, they worked to have them banned from libraries and classrooms. Now, questions right. were raised of whether or not the church leaders or the parents even read the books before deciding to ban them. Oh my gosh. Or were they going after this book because kids were actually reading and getting excited right. about reading? So I'd like to interject real quick on this topic because um, I actually grew up in a Christian home mm-hmm. and I went to a Christian school in 1999 and on all these books are coming out. Oh, yes. I was at a Christian school. Right. Right. So part of why I didn't read them at the appropriate age was I heard first about like my first hearing of Harry Potter yeah. was, oh, no, it's witch- it's witchcraft. We can't read that. Ah, gotcha. Like, not necessarily from my parents, but, like, it was also, it was always these rumors around school, or my grandparents even questioned it for a while, even though their opinions right. now are changed. It was, like, in the like, woodwork sort of thing. It was around. It was. Yeah. It was, like, almost this unspoken rule, you don't talk about Harry Potter because it's, right. you know, could be witchcraft thing. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the kind of person who wants to not ever be in trouble, so I wasn't even curious. I was like, okay, whatever. It'll Right, exactly. Okay, and that's then, something like, I don't have to do. Mom, <laughs> right, and my mom writes fantasy stuff all the time. Yeah. So obviously it wasn't my parents or anything, but like later down the road, I was like, oh, well, it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, it's very fascinating. It was very fascinating to me hearing her talk about that. Right. Because it never occurred to me how much it would bother her right but it was but it affected me a lot it was like it's probably the main reason why I didn't read them at first yeah exactly but the fact that it bothered her so much I mean it was just fascinating I mean it's justified that it would bother her but it's just right. interesting that I never thought about it that way oh you were right in the middle of it to a certain extent I was <laughs> I was <laughs> look at that um, I, I did like this. Uh, Judy Bloom actually kind of summed up this whole uh, this whole time in a New York Times piece. She said, but in Minnesota, Michigan, New York, California and South Carolina, parents who feel the books promote an interest in the occult have called for removal from the classrooms and libraries. I knew this was coming. The only surprise is that it took so long. If children are excited about a book, it must be suspect. <laughs> <laughs> that is your Pretty glorious much. Judy Bloom. <laughs> amazing. I so I, my story on it too cuz I remember when it was the height of this whole thing too. Um right. the the part that sticks out for me is when it was Christmas time. So it was right. Christmas and the books were out, a couple of books were out and the first movie was hitting. Um yeah, and so totally. uh we had a Warner Brothers store and the Warner Brothers store had tons of awesome Harry Potter stuff. And I really wanted to get Harry Potter stuff for my younger cousins, but I had to stop and think, would my aunts and uncles, are they part of the, you know, witchcraft is terrible, like, don't read these books. So I I didn't know. Come to find out they were totally fine with it. (laughs) 
and they love their Christmas gifts. But I did kind of like, oh, no, wait a minute. I should be mindful of this and, you know, people's beliefs. And it did kind of start to feel like there was another witch hunt happening, basically. Yeah, it did. No, yeah, it totally did. It got a little little Salem. Do you you read Harry Potter? Like, Oh, whispering. Do, do you read Harry Potter? Right. Yeah. Do you read Harry Potter? Oh no, you're going to have what? What is wrong? What's happening? This is a thing. Wait a second. What? How was this a thing? Right. Like, you read Lord of the Rings, right? Like, come on. It's fantasy as well. It's also got wizards in it. <laughs> it does. It's like, isn't this the same? Well, not the same thing, but isn't it like the same concept? Right. Like, it's a really? short <laughs> jump away. It just doesn't have a major marketing tie-in happening at that current moment. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward to when the movies were released. Oh, then they didn't. <laughs> right. But yes. The other thing that worried me too, um, especially with the, you know, second Salem witch trials that were happening, is oh that I God. had friends and I still have friends that are actually Wiccan. And so it actually right. really kind of worried me a little bit of you're going after fictional characters. You're not going to go after real right. people, are you? So Yeah, you're not going to go after my friends, right. are you? Like, come on. <laughs> so, but what, what they knew and what I knew as soon as we read the books, that like any good book about wizards and witches, uh, it's all made up. It's all spells oh, yeah. and twisted folklore to paint a picture. It, it is not heavily based in the occult, in even in no. Wiccan at all. Um, so it's one not of those things. Yeah, <laughs> it is not a book that is designed to have you join the occult. <laughs> so Joe even said herself, she doesn't believe in witchcraft. Uh, there are so right. many articles out there that are also from Christian websites that are positive about Potter. So Yay. yeah, it was a thing in nineteen in the last bit of nineteen ninety nine uh, that happened. And it was weird. <laughs> right. It was weird. It was totally weird. I mean, now I have, like, everybody I know literally reads Harry Potter right. and nobody is like, oh, you read Harry Potter. I oh, know that's bad. Like, nobody does that. That did anymore, not stick great. whatsoever. It's gr- It did not stick. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah. But uh, it was weird when it, it did. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> So you also dug into her other books that she has yes. done. Yes, her adult books. So, yes. So, J.K. Rowling actually wrote other novels other than Harry Potter, which not tons of people know. I had no idea. But more, yeah, I, I didn't know. And she even actually used a pseudonym, Robert Galbraith. Ah. And she published her first novel for adults, which was called The Casual Vacancy. And it's actually now been translated into 44 different languages, and it was adapted for TV by BBC in 2015. Awesome. J.K. Rowling wrote a handful of books under Robert Galbraith. Not everybody knew that Robert Galbraith was J.K. Rowling at the time. Mm -hmm. Robert Galbraith was actually described as a former plainclothes Royal Military Police investigator who had left in 2003 to work in the civilian security industry. And J.K. said that she enjoyed working on a pseudonym, and she even made a Robert Galbraith website. Nice. And J.K. explained that she took the name from one of her personal heroes, Robert Kennedy. Oh. And then the last name was her childhood fantasy name uh, that she had invented for herself, which was Ella Galbraith. Oh, that's so cool. So I thought that was a really cool little story. Yeah. Eventually, the general public knew Robert Galbraith was J.K. Rowling. Right. But, I mean, I think it'd be fun 
to write as a, with a pseudonym. That'd be absolutely. Awesome. You want to see if people can see your work separate from something else you did. Totally. Yeah. So in 2016, J.K. Rowling wrote her first screenplay for the film Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was a further extension of the Wizard World, and it was actually a prequel to the Harry Potter series. Yes. Featured Newt Scamander. This uh, movie actually was the start of a five-film series, and later the screen this screenplay got published as a book itself, which I actually have and kind of geeked out about. Nice. Because... The book is a screenplay. It's not yeah. a novel. So it's so uh I liked Fantastic Beasts. So I, I thought it was pretty awesome. And it was yeah. speaking <laughs> your language of screenplay. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like this is so cool. <laughs> you love geeking out about published screenplays. I love geeking out about commencement speeches. Um yep. to me they are a perfect opportunity for advice and encouragement. And reflection and even a way to kind of get to know a person, like their their real success and, and failures of the of the speaker. You came to visit me and what was the one I recommended for you? Neil Gaiman's commencement speech? Yep. yep, I'm just yep. saying. There's a handful of them, and as soon as I be like, I can give you advice, but you know what? This commencement speech is much better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe gave a great one in 2008 to the graduating class of Harvard, and it's another one. I highly recommend checking it out on YouTube because she's funny. She really is. She starts out by talking about how nervous she is, but how that nervousness caused her to lose weight, and so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome the other part she talked about was that she couldn't remember anything from her commencement speaker when she graduated so she didn't need to worry too much about imparting wisdom because if she couldn't remember it then odds are the students that day wouldn't remember what she said either <laughs> Oh my god! I thought it was adorable. But she did impart yeah. wisdom. She talked about two things, uh, the benefits of failure and the crucial importance of imagination. And the key thing that I really kind of took from the benefits of failure was that failure strips away what is not important. Failure shines a light on what you really need in life. And it shows you who you really are. And that's what she talked about. Uh, in Joe's Hard Times in Poverty, she said, quote, Rock bottom became a solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. And I thought that was beautiful. That's a great quote. Isn't that nice? Yes. Uh, this commencement speech also got turned into an illustrated book as well. So that oh, is wow. out there. Yes. That is so cool. I know. Isn't that neat? Yes. I want a book. <laughs> yes, totally. So the second part she talks about the importance of imagination. She talked about it in the broader sense, more than just creating a fictional world for page turners and popcorn munchers. She said, quote, imagination is the power to emphasize with humans whose experience we've never shared. And I loved that. Totally. She talks about her work with Amnesty International and the nightmares that it gave her, but also the hope that it gave her. And it's an amazing story. Uh, she also talks about magic. And she said, quote, we don't need magic. We have the power to imagine better. And oh, Aww. my goodness, I want that like embroidered on everything. Uh, oh, yeah. She encouraged not only the graduating class of Harvard uh, to identify with the powerful and the powerless, uh, but she gave that message to all of us. So it's it's a great speech. I highly recommended checking out the Harvard commencement speech um, by J.K. Rowling. I'd wanted to share a little bit because I think it actually uh, kind of relates to this next bit, 
which is her charities. Kind of gives you a foundation of why she does what she does. So you were digging into charities. So, Kate, you had asked in our minicast about J.K.'s billionaire status. Yes. And if she lost it due to charitable giving. I still want to know this. Well, I found a Huffington Post article that the title reads, Forbes billionaire list J.K. Rowling drops from billionaire to millionaire due to charitable giving. Uh Right? Yes. So, new information about J.K.'s estimated $160 in charitable giving combined with Britain's high tax rates bumped um, the Harry Potter scribe from our list this year. That is what Forbes said. Oh, interesting. Right? So, she's actually noted in the Forbes billionaire drop-offs list officially so there's multiple different things it's it's crazy so in the article it gives us this quote by her um it says that you have a moral responsibility when you've been given far more than what you need to do wise things with it and give intelligently that's beautiful it is yeah i really hoped that that was true (laughs) yeah i thought that was I, i did too i thought that was really cool yeah and like i feel like that quote just enhances everything else that we've learned about her today absolutely yep and you know what i can also see that um that same sort of sentiment in the gates family too bill gates and melinda gates um oh my gosh made me appreciate a little bit more than what they do even when my windows don't always work (laughs) right exactly same Mm -hmm. same character it matters (laughs) it really does it does it really does So I actually pulled some information from her official biography and everything she's donating to. So I thought that they explained it really well. So I wanted to tell you about it. Yeah. So it says that J.K. Rowling supports a number of causes and organizations, mainly through her charitable trust, Volant. She's also the founder and president of the international charity, children's charity called Lumos. And as a postgraduate, J.K. Rowling worked at the London office of Amnesty International doing research into human rights abuses in the French-speaking countries of Africa. Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling was a patron of the Multiple Sclerosis Society in Scotland for nine years. I deduct that that's an important thing to her because because of her mom passing from MS. Absolutely, yeah. She still helps with this uh, directly through the Anne Rowling Regenerative Neurology Clinic. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so she's still involved in that, if she wasn't busy enough. <laughs> yeah. So she's also a patron of the Maggie Centers for Cancer Care for several years. So Maggie Centers are a network of drop-in centers across the United Kingdom and Hong Kong, and they aim to help anyone who's been affected by cancer in numerous and practical ways, which is pretty cool. Yes. And she also helps doctors without borders and she performed a fundraising event with authors stephen king and john irving in new york in 2006 and then in 2011 she contributed to a book in aid of the charity um the book was called dear me more letters to my 16 year old self oh that's adorable yeah so she was also involved in the volant charitable trust and it was set up by her in 2000 as a grant making trust to support Scottish charities, groups, and projects, both national and community-based, which um, this helps alleviate social deprivation, particularly concerned with women, children, and young people at risk, which is awesome. so cool. 
And again, I took this from her website, so if you feel like you've heard this before, it's because you, pro- you might have. <laughs> I was like, exactly. they, they, they sum it up really well. Yeah. Oh, that that is a lot, but you can see that all those things really matter to her. Oh, my gosh. So that's awesome. Yeah. They, they're all such a personal connection. She's not involved in one charity just for the heck of it. Like, right. oh, I guess this one's okay. Like, no, everything's It's not very this personal. would look good on my resume. This totally. is This is important to me. Yeah, yeah. this is a personal connection this is this matters you know mm-hmm. um she's written books as a mean for supports for um charity comic relief and this helps people out in poverty and then she's also the president of the charity gingerbread which helps single parents uh to say that she does a lot is kind of an understatement this right. is all like she's <laughs> very amazing. involved in helping make the world better which is just so cool (laughs) i love that oh that's beautiful yeah (laughs) oh so that brings us to her legacy right um and which we always talk about on the show and this one's a little bit difficult because she's still building it (laughs) right totally yep uh but my goodness what an amazing legacy it is so far i mean really it really Um, is I was thinking about, I mean, just getting kids to be excited about reading. That's a legacy. That's totally. a gift. Um, putting out a and creating a world where the core of this world is about friendship. And it's kind of encircled by myth and folklore. It's one of those books that feels familiar, but new at the same time. Absolutely. And that's kind of magical, if you don't mind the pun. But uh. also, <laughs> we've got her charity work. Um, right. And she is a continued voice for those who feel voiceless. Right. It's an amazing legacy that uh, that she's building that we can still learn from her, like, right now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I think that she empowers um, thinking for yourself. Yeah. So if you check out her like social media and Twitter pages and all that, she's always vocalizing her opinions and like just mm-hmm. putting herself out there still. And I, I think that um, with so many books and with so many things for kids and showing how Harry Potter's grown and showing how um, her characters have grown, she's enabling other kids to grow like with her characters and with her empowering adults to let their children grow i think that's that's very interesting and it's going to be interesting to watch uh her legacy grow more because right i mean it would be interesting to ask her you know what legacy are you trying to leave behind you know it'd be interesting for her to answer her own question it would be and it's a very hard question to really kind of think because it's harder to look forward than it is to look back. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, even for us, we're just kind of looking back of this is what we know so far. Right. Um, being in the forest of your life. Right. <laughs> and being able to know the forest from the trees. Yeah, it would be right. amazing. Yeah. I would love to know what she would say. Dun, dun, dun. Me too. <laughs> So when it comes to what we have learned uh, and what I learned, I really learned how funny Joe is. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. Um, I really dig her wit, and I love how she finds the funny in anxiety and social pressures. And I know a lot of that is just coping mechanisms, but I find her very funny, and I can really relate uh, to when she pokes at jokes and when she does pranks on social media. I really dig those. Um, I also learned that good things do happen to good people, but others are always going to try to belittle that. And they're going to try to make themselves feel better by cutting somebody else down. And what I really learned with the big takeaway that I have um, from spending this week with her is the power of imagination and how imagination is a tool for empathy. I think I already knew that. I mean, I talk about movies um, a lot and we talk about on this show. Um, about the the powerfulness of empathy, but putting it together, you know what I mean? Like we do, we find right. information and we're doing that to tap into empathy because when we empathize with somebody, we learn from them and we grow and we learn and Absolutely. we also get new roadmaps and we deal with pitfalls better. So I value imagination, but after learning more about Joe, I think I've learned to value imagination even more. Absolutely. Is what I, my takeaway. (laughs) That's awesome. So kind of in line with that, I always thought when I think about the brains behind a fantasy world, I always think, okay, there's somebody else collaborating with them or there's something inspiring them that they're basing this off of or, you know, or there's a second mind in the works or something like that, you know? Um, some kind of shortcut almost help assistance yeah Yeah. right exactly and I know that my mom has a certain process when she wrote her books and I have a certain process when I write and I have a really hard time just imagining worlds like Mm -hmm. I can't I I don't know I I have a harder time just coming up with random stuff on my own I have to (laughs) collaborate I have to I'm really good at collaboration I'm really good at you know, making stories work or, you know, something of that nature. But I learned from Joe that if you just believe in yourself, you can actually come up with your own world by yourself. Right. Exactly. That's incredible. That is very empowering to know. It's in your power. Yeah. It's in your imagination if you unlock it and trust in it. Yeah. Right. Like, that is so empowering to know because she, she sat in a cafe and she just wrote. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not saying, oh, I could be the next J.K. Rowling. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying right, is Right, right. Like, yeah. But aim for it. Yeah, I'm allowed to believe in mm-hmm. myself. I guess that's what she taught me. And she also, I learned that I don't hate Harry Potter as much as I thought, as I, thought Yay! I did. Look at you. I know. Awesome. I know. I got to go watch the movies now. <laughs> a new convert. I think JK gets a new toaster every time somebody. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a lot of toast. <laughs> no, she. So it's funny. At the end of the day, it was JK Rowling herself that convinced me to give Harry Potter a chance. Right. Like, that's awesome. just kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. It's not marketing. It's character. It is. It's, you yeah. know, it's her character. You right. want to invest in her art and her imagination and the world that she kind of, you know, created. It's like, you know what? This is worth some time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. She herself completely it. changed my mind. Yep. 
Yep. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and just a, a quick, like, as part of, like, final thoughts, I know I mentioned in the minicast, I was curious if she ever got, you know, married again. Um, right. And it's one of those things where it's really not a big deal. It does not change my life knowing that fact whatsoever. Um, right. However, because she gets that moniker of the single mom, the penniless single mom sort of right. thing. It is important to put out there, she is happily married again, and she does have two more children. Yay! So I think that's awesome, Yay! and I hope she's really happy because she deserves it. Yeah, we get to end her episode with this happy ending. Like, she literally, we get to have a happy ending for her. Yes, so exactly. Cool. And it's not an ending. It's not an ending. It's just what we know so far. well that wraps it up for us we leave you with this quote from jk whether you come back by page or by the big screen hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home for more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes visit galsguide.org to support the show visit the gals guide patreon page we've got great perks like behind the scenes early access and private live streams thank you so much for subscribing to your gal friday